Aloha, this is Abe's Ukulele Podcast. I'm Abe. This is the podcast for teachers and players of the ukulele that want to get better at teaching and playing. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you because it's been a long time coming. My guest is Joe Souza, not only a great player and teacher, but one of the founders of Kanilea Ukulele. I got a chance to meet and talk with him on my trip to Hawaii in July of 2019. If you're listening to this before April 11th, 2020, please be advised that there is an online free mini ukulele festival on Saturday, April 11th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is being hosted by Craig and Sarah, and it is going to be awesome. Head to chimizel.com slash minifest for more information. That link will also be in the show notes. Again, that's a free six-hour online ukulele festival. It doesn't get much better than this in quarantine, am I right? I'd like you to know that this podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. If you think these stories are worth a dollar or more, I'd really appreciate the support. You can give a one-time or recurring tip at buymeacoffee.com slash ukuleleabe. That will be in the show notes, and it'll take you less than a minute to sign up. Thanks. Joe Souza grew up with the ukulele-played kanikapila style, with family and friends sitting around singing and playing at the beach or at home. He founded Kanilea Ukulele with his wife in 1998, and today, Kanilea is known as one of the best ukulele makers in the world, and it's also one of the coveted 4Ks. This was recorded in July of 2019 at the Ukulele Festival Hawaii. It was recorded outside in quite a busy environment, but I think it puts you right in the conversation. So sit back and imagine a cool breeze and a beautiful Hawaiian day as we talk story. All right, so this is Abe. I'm at the Ukulele Festival Hawaii, and I'm sitting down with Joe Souza. Thank you for joining me, Joe. Hello, Abe. Hello, everyone. So, Joe, you are uh, the founder and owner of Kanilea Ukulele, and I wanted to know, like, what... What led you to this point as a player and a teacher to um, make these incredible instruments? That's a great question. Actually, you know, this ukulele journey started back in the fourth grade. It was my fourth grade music teacher who literally grabbed me by the ear because she was my mom's twin sister, uh, sat me down in the front of her class, and she said, you're going to learn ukulele. And she planted a seed, and that seed was for the love of this instrument. And of course, she taught me D7, G7, C, and you know, some of the earlier chords and some of the earlier progressions, which led to this passion as a young player. And, you know, as I got into high school and got into my Hawaiian language class, uh, my teacher there, you know, she always inspired us to say, hey, you know, playing ukulele is awesome, but you don't only have to play Hawaiian music. There's so much music that you can play on the ukulele. And she started teaching us music that was popular at the time. So, um, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and America and Bread and, you know, music of that era. Although I'm kind of timing and dating myself now. Um, you know, and just showed, you know, more chords and different progressions and really kind of fed the interest that I had for ukulele. And then, you know, as I got out of high school, that passion continued just as a young inquisitive mind as like, 
how does it make sound and what's happening on the instrument that creates this beautiful tone? And I just started to kind of dissect the instrument, looking at the bracing, looking at the shape, looking at how the strings react and just how the instrument functions. And then from there, as a player, um, you know, I bought my first ukulele because uh, it's basically my mom who said, okay, you got to stop beating up on my ukulele. You got to go buy your own ukulele. So she introduced me to a gentleman. His name is Peter Bermudez. And Uncle Pete, uh, I bought my first tenor ukulele from him. And he and I just hit it off. Uh, he had a love for ukulele, a love for Hawaiian music, and I had a love for ukulele and a love for Hawaiian music. So we would sit and play. And uh, one day he asked me, would you like to learn how to build an ukulele? I told him, oh, I'd be honored. So basically, I became his apprentice, uh, sweeping the shop floor, vacuuming the corners that nobody wanted to, to venture into, you know, and basically started to learn from him wood properties and what was happening on the wood grain and what was happening on the instrument to create tone. And um, built my first ukulele with him. And it was actually a, a pretty good reflection of who I am today as a builder, my first ukulele I ever built was a super concert. It was a concert-sized body with a tenor scale, uh, what we call today a super concert. But I was already thinking outside of the box. Like, I like the sound of a concert. I love the playability of a tenor. What can I create that's going to meet those two needs? And, uh, you know, that passion just kept going. It kind of fueled what we were doing in the shop. Uh, looking at different strings, looking at different bracing, looking at different shapes, how we were building the instrument to eventually uh, started building my own instruments on my own. And kind of with his blessing, he helped me set up my jigs, you know, said, okay, you're going to need this bandsaw, you're going to need this sander, you know, kind of walked me through what I was going to need to be able to build at, at my house. And, um, you know, that, that passion still continued with, well, how can I build this or what can I do there? And, uh, you know, I love the six string. I love an eight string. I love a 10 string, a tipple. You know, I want to build these different instruments. So I started kind of figuring them out, which ultimately led to um, creating instruments and having orders. And in order to kind of fulfill my orders, uh, I took on my first apprentice. And the day I took on my first apprentice, that's when we really started Kanilea. Because prior to that, I built under the name Ho'okani, which basically means to make sound. Uh, but then when I took on my first apprentice, we created Kanilea. Both my wife and I agreed. And Kanilea is actually a family name. So it's kind of paying homage to my grandmother, my aunt, my mom's twin sister, my first music teacher, uh, to our son, who all carries this name of Kanilea Okavaunaheleopa'i'i. So, you know, it's a 27-letter Hawaiian middle name that has meaning, of course. Uh, Kanilea means joyful sound. But... Uh, like Ilkepa, our, our, our son, his middle name, yeah, Kanileo Kavanaheleo Pa'i'i means from the deep forest, a joyful sound is heard, where people go as a source, a source of many things. And I thought, you know, this is paying homage to our family, you know, to our, what is called, our, our genealogy, and sharing the fact that, um, you know, this joyful sound that we're sharing with the world is really from the forest because that's where the journey for the ukulele really starts. And I think as a voyaging society, uh, a lot of where we started as a voyaging society started from the forest, you know, with these canoes, these va'as that were created 
from these beautiful kupuna trees and they of course allowed us to journey the Pacific. So recognizing that fact, as a ukulele company, we thought, well, you know, we'll set a goal. And our goal is for every ukulele we build, we plant a koa tree. Well, what does that mean? That means that we're actively engaged now in reforestation, preservation. Uh, for this year, 2019, we're going to plant over 8,000 trees. You know, now we're not looking at just one tree for every ukulele that we've ever built, but one tree for every ukulele that we've ever built and trees that are going to be, you know, paying forward and really looking at what we can do as an ukulele company to, yes, sustain, because that would be the first impression. Okay, well, you build ukuleles, so you plant trees, so you can build more ukuleles. But the reality is what we're planting today will never become an ukulele in my lifetime and not even in my, my, my son's lifetime. You know, we're going to be building instruments maybe in 100 years. I can't look into the future that way. But, you know, there could be a potential where, yes, one of these trees have lived its life and, you know, we only use dead and fallen coal and the life of this core tree now lives in our instrument. But when we look at one of these kupuna trees, one of these old trees, and how we're able to build 500 ukuleles from these old growth trees, that potentially, that means there's another 500 trees that we're gonna plant. So when we look at that concept of very simple, of a simple goal, which is for every ukulele we build, we plant a core tree, and how really the native forest is gonna live, and how we, as a people, whether it's Hawaiians or whether we as a civilization, as, as humans, how we have to care for the land and, you know, planting trees to make sure that our earth lives, you know. And that's really kind of on a bigger picture. What the end goal really is, is to make sure that, yes, in the future, me and my grandkids, if I'm ever blessed grandchildren or, you know, great grandchildren are going to be able to walk into a forest and know that the only reason why it's there is because, Grandma, grandpa, great grandma, great grandpa, you know, had the thought or the concept forward thinking to say, hey, we have to do this because if we don't, the forest is going to die. And what we do as an ukulele builder kind of dies along with it. So if we don't care for the forest and we don't like respect the fact that without it, we don't exist, then we have to do this. You know, whether we're making ukuleles or if we were selling plate lunches or baking cookies or malasadas or whatever our life's passion ended up being, that caring for our forests and caring for the land is so important. So there's a little olelo no eao, which is a Hawaiian proverb that my wife created, which says, ola kaina ola ke kanaka. And that basically translates to, when the land lives, the people live. And so taking this concept as an ukulele company to say, yes, we have to care for the land and yes, we're spreading aloha through our ukulele and we're doing that side of our business, but not forgetting the fact that we have to care for our land. Yeah. Wow, that's great. That's so beautiful. Um, <coughs> I sound weird. That's really beautiful. Um, so big thank you to your auntie who uh, really inspired you with ukulele, right? Um, and I love what you're doing with the ukuleles. Like what you said about planting one, it's going to become 500 trees in the future or wait no 500 ukuleles from one tree means 500 trees later oh that's great so when you plant these trees are they all on the big island for right now uh, for right now they're all on the big island okay great um that's really cool so 
I know you've been working really hard this week for this festival. Um, I was just wondering, in, in a nutshell, if you could explain, like, what makes a Kanilea special? Because for me, the things that are so unique is the, the bridge pins, the neck is a little wider, they're really, really light, and you just made them even lighter, which is kind of incredible. And not only that, the, the tree that goes with it, it's kind of like, you know, you can't separate it. Like, as a, a buyer, if I, if I got one myself, actually, and knowing that there's a tree out there that I had a, a hand in planting, which is, that's just so awesome. So, what was my question? I don't even know. <laughs> um, what, what makes the Kanilea so unique in how they're made? I think it's because we, we, we've really taken, that's a great question. Um, we've taken a different approach from the ukulele builder standpoint, which is actually I was a player before I became a builder. So putting into the instrument what a player would like, as far as even the simple beauty of you know position markers at every position, uh, a neck that's comfortable to play, a little wider string spacing than what was considered you know the industry standard for so many years, and looking at like the bracing or simple approaches to like our our Kanilea armrest bevel and creating a relief on the side of the instrument so that when your forearm crosses over the soundboard there at the lower bout, you know, that sharp 90 degree corner is not digging into your, into your arm. Or our Kanilea cutaway bevel, which is a relief in comparison to the traditional way of cutting away the whole upper treble bout on the instrument to gain access to the frets, we're able to create just a nice relief so that it allows the player to reach beyond the 14th fret and not sacrifice the sound. And really seeing the fact from a player's point of view that sound is everything. You know, no matter how beautiful or how many inlays or what we're able to do with the instrument, it's all about the sound. So when we see the bracing and how we've lightened our bracing to, of course, provide the strength that we need, but then also look at allowing the soundboard to have elasticity and the ability to vibrate and really looking at how do we get an instrument to have the best sound or the best tone. And that's something that is kind of an internal way how we see the instrument. Kanilea, we are on a relentless pursuit of the perfect ukulele. And have we ever achieved it? I, I don't think so. I think there's so much more that we can learn and always kind of push the envelope or think outside of the box as far as how an instrument functions and how it plays and how it kind of provides an experience for a player to say, okay, now I can translate my music through this instrument. So I think that's kind of the, the Kanilea way to say, you know, we sum it up with, yeah, we have a why, and our why is we inspire the soul. How we do it is with an ukulele, but it goes beyond just the ukulele. And that's something that, you know, I teach children all the time. Hey, there are days in life where life is challenging. You know, not every day is butterflies and rainbows, you know, some days it's just tough. But you come home and you play your ukulele and your ukulele will nourish your soul. You play your favorite song, you play your favorite tune, you learn a new song, you challenge yourself. And all of those, you know, frustrations, I guess, that can come with life can be just kind of set aside. And instead of turning to an alternative, which, you know, Lord knows there's all these alternatives out there, you have music and you have the instrument. And you have the ability to nourish yourself and find joy in that. And knowing that ultimately the ukulele is maybe your best friend. As of right now, you're learning a new instrument. But in the future, you always have your ukulele. 
And whether you're entertaining or whether you're just playing for fun or if it's during Christmas and you bring out your ukulele and everybody's singing Christmas carols, you know, and the whole family is having fun with the fact of what you've learned on your instrument. And really, that's what the ukulele does. Because, I mean, quite honestly, nobody knows where the world's going to be in 100 years from now. You know, the cell phone might be an implant the size of a rice grain that goes tucks behind your ear. And now you carry all of the knowledge of mankind all in like, you know, not even in the palm of your hand. But I do know that in 100 years, we're still going to be playing ukulele. And the ukulele is still going to be nourishing your soul. And it's really going to be making this world a better place. It truly does. So I think that's Kanilea in a nutshell. I agree. I think that's beautiful. The tone is most important, right? <laughs> um, so speaking of tone and the sound that the ukulele creates, actually, I have a, I have a bevel on my Kanilea, and I know exactly what you mean. It's just easier to reach. Um, as a player, I don't often reach that high, but when I need to, it's nice to have. Uh, my students uh, kind of joke around, the littlest ones, they, when they see my ukulele for the first time, they think, did somebody take a bite out of it? I say, yeah, somebody. It's delicious. Um, but what I wanted to ask is about the tone and the, the sound. Like, what types of strings do you prefer on Kanileas? Is there something you like for yourself and something different for uh, what most people buy? Or do you find that, like me, it changes a lot? Yeah, that's a great question. And... I'll be honest with you, I have different instruments with different strings. Uh, so my eight-string tenor, which has kind of been my workhorse to say, I have Aquilas on there, uh, Aquila Super Nile Guts. Um, Kaimana, my oldest son, just built me a uh, five-string super tenor with a 19-inch scale with a high-low G. And that particular instrument, interestingly enough, I have Aquila Lavas on that instrument. I also have uh, another instrument that I've got some uh, Diodario T2s on there. And it's, it's a high G tuning uh, with the Diodarios. I think it's just a matter of what you like as far as a player, but more importantly, what you're able to create with your instrument as far as the tone of the instrument and how that kind of interacts with you. So for the high G, you know, there's a particular style that I like playing on that instrument that a higher tension string feels better when I'm doing that style. Uh, whereas the eight string, primarily I'm playing rhythm. So the Aquilas, they're a little, they're a little softer. They're a little easier to play to say, especially on an eight string. Uh, so it really depends on your individual like to say and what suits your playing style. Um, you know, I, I just set up an instrument with some Worth Browns. Great strings. I loved it. I love the tone of the instrument, you know? And so, it's just a matter of what you like and what tone kind of fits your playing, which then ultimately leads to finding the string. And not necessarily does the one string fit all, you know? It's just a matter of what you're playing. I agree. Oh, it's funny you mentioned Worth Browns. I had, um, I had a set of Worth Browns on a Koaloha, and I think they sounded awful. And then maybe a year later, the same exact set like you know they come super long you cut them in half the same exact set i put them on the same instrument and they sounded fantastic so it changes right does it change for you like the same have you had that experience where the same type of string on the same instrument sounds different to you i, I think in, in general i found that the the voice of an instrument changes as the instrument gets played and enjoyed i i, I can hear the tonal nuances 
from an instrument that has been kind of played and enjoyed, besides seeing the wear marks and, you know, the, the, the fatigue that comes with being played a lot on the instrument, you can really hear the tone of the instrument differently as the instrument seasons. And granted, the wood is learning its new job. We're trying to get the wood to vibrate, you know, pull the elasticity of the wood out as best as possible from a, from a young instrument. And ultimately, knowing that the instrument is still going to find its voice. And that's kind of the, the unseen or unknown venture that comes with a new instrument. When you get it, it's like, oh, you know, it's like a new baby, right? Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, it has a voice. It has a certain sound. And I love this sound. But then as the instrument seasons and as it kind of finds its own personality at that point, you can really hear the tone and the subtleties of the tone kind of open up and it's, it has more sustain or a bit more resonance, maybe even a little bit more volume. You know? And everybody kind of has their association of what a good sounding ukulele should be like. And that's, I think, what kind of is the, is the, the surprise that comes with an instrument as it's seasoned. So to answer your question, yeah. I think definitely the voice of the instrument improves, especially if it's played and enjoyed. That's so important. So true. Yeah, I hmm. I had a thought and I lost it. It happens a lot. It's okay. Um, yeah, so something that's really embarrassing that I have to make sure I get it recorded on something is um, my bridge pins on my Kanilea for as long as I've had it until maybe a month ago, um, I realized the slot was pointed towards the headstock so anytime I put on the strings, it was a nightmare because strings would pop out, and I did not know why. And I know I called, and I talked to Lena, um, and I talked to other people. Somehow the, the slot was not, <laughs> was not the right way. I finally did it the right way, and it was so easy to change. Um, and I love that the strings don't poke you in the arm when, when you mess up your string changes. Um, I guess I was just wondering, do, do you find that a lot of players struggle with the bridge pins? Because now that I know... The slot should go the opposite way. Not like a guitar, right? It's the opposite. Um, it's actually very easy for me to change. But do you, do you encounter that a lot with players? And you know, we, we did. Yes, we did, Abhi. Uh, and the solution to me at the time was, well, if we could only, you know, design a bridge pin with no slot. So we went on this adventure. And that adventure led us to creating a bridge pin with no slot. And that's where we are today. So it kind of takes the slot out of the equation to say, as far as when you go to change your strings, because what is what was happening is not uncommon. You know, and then the solution, although you don't necessarily always see it in the process of changing your strings, when it's finally revealed to you, it's like, ah, oh, oh, you know, there's this moment like, wow, it was that easy. So now that we've designed Bridgepin specific with no slot, that has helped out a lot to kind of take those slots out of the equation. Oh, that's great. It's, it's a little, it's funny that the, the builder has to make the change, but that was totally player error for me. It's like, you know, I'm sure somebody told me, but somehow I missed it, you know, like, and then once I fixed it, oh, so easy. Um, so bridge pins with no slot, super, super light with the newer true bracing. Um, and I've, it's kind of incredible how light you've gotten them. Uh, is there anything else coming up that you want people to know about with uh, the development of these new ukuleles? You know, there's so many fun things that we're always doing from new cases 
um, to, you know, new strings from the ground up, designing new strings. And it, it, it's always, to me, it's what gets me up in the morning. You know, it's where the passion for this instrument truly is to look at how can we, as Kanileo, create more? How can we do more? And, you know, I've got, I don't know how many, you know, projects of research development. And in all that, there's so much that we learn and so much that we develop that you think, okay, well, what are they going to do next? You know, what, what can actually be done next? And for me, it's like, well, you know, getting the same cleanliness that we get on our bridge work to translate even on our neck and body. Uh, you know, when we did the silk finish on our neck, which, I mean, to me, it's something that from a player's point of view, it's, 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 a, it's a must, you know? So these little things, looking at our bridges and how do we improve on the weight of our bridge? Because we're always, you know, looking at this balance between strength, weight, mass, tone, and looking at how can we always improve? Um, how can we do a better or redesigned um, compensated saddle? You know, and try and hit this uh, elusive, perfect intonation. You know, and looking at maybe there's a particular saddle for a particular string or, you know, how do we get a 10-string ukulele to stay in tune? You know, I mean, because we have octaves and I mean, there's just so much that it, it's constant. And looking at how we as a company, how we balance the, uh, what we do with technology, you know, because... I mean, even if you asked me about a cellular phone 15 years ago, you know, that was the old pager days when, uh, you know, a cell phone was a, a big brick, you know, a Motorola brick that was, could only be in your car. Whereas today, you know, the cell phones have gotten smaller and then all of a sudden now they're getting bigger again, you know. Uh, but they're, 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 there's so much technology, you know, that we're surrounded by. But it's how do we integrate that technology into what we do as an ukulele builder and how do we create a a sustainable company in what we do as an ukulele builder you know i mean those are all the things that we look at on how we do what we do and creating these playable masterpieces to really last for generations to come and you know just to think okay for the ukuleles that that we built for you or, you know, the ukuleles that we built for Audrine, or ukuleles that we built for Craig and Sarah, or for Kelly Boyd de Lima, or, you know, Uncle Willie Kay, these artists, where they're sharing so much love with the ukulele and entertaining thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and how that instrument is changing the lives of so many because they inspire so many people. So those are the things that we as Kanileo Ukulele really look at. And how do we help the next generation? How do we inspire their soul? How do we get them to even look at an ukulele to say, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, I want to learn how to play that, you know, and really inspire the next Beethoven or the next creator of a masterpiece. You know, those are the things that we as Kanileo Ukulele really look at because we see that as the important chapter or the next chapter of what the ukulele is going to offer. Because I truly believe that the ukulele will be in all four corners of the earth. And as it starts to really 
get popular, even beyond what it already is. And people start to really get introduced to the instrument. They start to realize, wow, this is something that I love to do. I love to play. And that's pretty much where my journey started to in the fourth grade for a love for this instrument. Oh, that's great. That's a really great, uh, inspiring thing to be striving for. I don't know if you'll ever answer that question, but uh, it's really good to be, you know, like you said, searching for the next Beethoven, trying to inspire others. That's fantastic. So um, it's kind of noisy here, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I know you're busy, Joe. Thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking story with me. You're welcome, Abe. Mahalo nui for taking time and sharing. And of course, I appreciate you and what you're doing. And I appreciate the fact that you're here in this, you know, in the midst of all this busyness at the ukulele mecca and that we could actually spend time together. So, mahalo. Well, there you have it. It was really cool to meet Joe, and if you haven't seen it, there's a picture of our interview on my Facebook page snapped by Craig Chi. And if you ever wanted to see what I look like in action, now you can. Although this was my first time dealing with one mic in a noisy environment, uh, I think it turned out pretty good. What do you think? Reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or just email me through the link in the show notes. And if you've got a friend in need of some ukulele inspiration, please share the show with them. After all, we could all use a little more aloha in our lives. And that's the point of this podcast. I really hope that it lifted you up a bit too. Remember about the free online ukulele festival on April 11th, and I hope to see you there. Thanks again for joining me today. Until next time, stay tuned and aloha. Aloha.